I think that's probably one of the best introductions I've ever had. So I'm glad to be with you. As Caleb said, Pastor Caleb said, my name is Mike Myers, which I already got one laugh. I didn't say anything. Which means uh, you got Austin Powers and Shrek on one side of things, and on the other side of things, you got Halloween, the killer. So junior high was so fun for me. But uh, at Wayne's World, all right. Off to a good start here. Hey, I'm so glad to be with you. I love uh, the Huntington Beach community. Last time I was here, probably about a year. Uh, and when I had an opportunity to come and to speak, I said, absolutely. The Huntington Beach people are fun. It is a good-looking group. Did you know you're a good-looking group? You know, someone once told me that, that being 50% of being good is looking good. And so you're, you're halfway there. You're halfway there. <laughs> Uh, but I, I love being here. It's fun. You guys are fun. You guys are uh, risk takers. Uh, I mean, I love the worship. Did you guys love the worship this morning? I mean, I, I am not a mover, but I found myself moving down there. Jerison's team just did a great job. And so I, I'm so fortunate to be here. And as Caleb mentioned, we are cousins. So hopefully that will work in my advantage. I think you all love Pastor Caleb, uh, but I'm glad to be here. I, I, today is a special day because today is uh, my three-month anniversary. I got married three months ago. My lovely wife is here, and I apologize in advance, but I did bring some wedding pictures uh, for you. You might enjoy this. Uh, So that's us. You can see that guy in the middle uh, cleans up pretty well on a couple of occasions. That's Pastor Caleb there. He married us. And uh, this next picture is probably one of my favorite pictures uh, of our wedding because that is the look of victory right there. (laughs) That that is the look. Uh, you, some of you are thinking, how, like, how did he get her to marry him? All I can say is that God answers prayers. <laughs> so so we, are, we are so happy to be here uh, with you as we uh, uh, teach and, and be with you. So thank you for, for having us. But as we, uh, as we transition, oh, one final thing. Uh, this lovely girl, did you enjoy her singing? Yeah. This lovely girl is actually my sister. So you, you're just getting a family affair this morning. So... Anyways, but uh, as we turn our attention to uh, God's word, would you uh, uh, pray with me? I love to pray and ask God to come and, uh, and uh, open our minds and our hearts. So let us pray. So dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for you. God, we are so thankful um, for your goodness in our lives. God, we, we thank you that today is the day that you've made, and this is a day that we can rejoice and we can be glad. Now, God, I know that there are some where... They are, they are excited, they are filled, as Jairus said, and this is a great day. God, I know that there are other people here in this room where saying that this is a good day is very hard to say. But God, I pray that you would meet both of us exactly where we are this morning. Lord, I pray that you would open up your word. God, I actually believe if you were to speak to us and we could hear your voice, our lives would be changed, they would be different. And so God, that's what we ask for now. I pray that you would remove any kind of barrier to communication I pray that you would open up the book of Romans to us so that we can understand it and apply it and hopefully, God, experience the transformation you have for us. So, God, we we ask you for these things. We know that you're good for them. And we we pray this in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' name, I pray everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. Well, I was uh, visiting my mother recently and uh, we began conversation. I don't know what your conversation with your mom looks like. Ours generally uh, kind of revolves around uh, Netflix. What's on Netflix? We talk about what each other's watching and shows. And she was, she was sharing with me some of her shows. And then she said, Mike, what, what are some of the things that you're watching right now? I said, Mom, oh, 
there is this most, the most fascinating show uh, that I've found that I've wa- I'm watching. She said, oh, well, well, tell me about it. What is it called? I said, it's a show called Catfish. She said, she said I don't want to watch a show about fishing. I, I said, Mom, it is the most interesting fishing show you will ever watch. Has anybody seen the show Catfish? Some of you are saying, that's not safe. I don't know yet. Uh, let me explain some things if, for, if you've never seen it before. So a catfish isn't just a fish that swims in the water. There's another term for catfish, and that is a person who creates a fake online profile with the intent of tricking someone or luring someone into a relationship with them. And the show Catfish is about these two guys who kind of follow up on those leads to help the person realize, find out if they are actually being catfished. Now, before you write me off, and think, what kind of shows does this guy watch? I've been thinking about what is it about a show like that that's so, that would be so appealing? It receives high ratings. So what is it that's appealing about that? And then it hit me. I realized the why. I think for two reasons. One is that it connects with all of us. Uh, there's something common that connects with all of us on two levels. The first one is, I think there's times and seasons in our lives where we want to be someone else. I mean, is there not, have you never been to church and saw this awesome guy just strumming this guitar being so handsome? When you think, man, I wish I could be that handsome and play that guitar. And you ever wondered, man, why can't I come up with that invention on Shark Tank and make a deal worth millions of dollars? Have you never been in that place? I think it connects with us there. I also think it connects with us on this level. I think there's times and seasons where we get lured into, into doing something that we think is going to be good for us, but ends up not being good for us. I mean, I wish, I wish that every day I could come home from work and eat an endless supply of chips and salsa. And it wouldn't impact my bottom line. You know what I'm saying? So I think it hits two levels. But this final part is where I think it connects with all of us. You see, we all think that something like that could never happen to us. But let me tell you something this morning. Did you know that you are being catfished? Maybe it's not through online dating, but you're being lured, you're being tricked, you're being duped. And it could be costing you your freedom and the fullness of life that God has for you. So the question for us this morning is how do we keep from being catfished into someone we don't want to be and into doing things we don't want to do? So that's what we are fishing for this morning. I'm sorry, I had to take that one. I thought it was low-hanging fruit. So if you have your Bibles, we're looking at the book of Romans. The book of Romans. Now we're in this series in Romans, a study in Romans about, about transformation, uh, and the what of it is because Romans is a book about transformation. Uh, a lot of theologians uh, say that if you, can, if you can grasp Romans, then you can get the rest of the Bible. It kind of unlocks the rest of the Bible. But the why behind we're in this series is because all of us, all of us, whether you believe in Jesus or don't believe in Jesus, maybe you're here and you just, you just came in because you smelled some good coffee and you're on your way in, But all of us, at some point, try to change ourselves. We try to transform ourselves. All of us try to stop looking at that. We all try to stop thinking that way. We we try to stop drinking that, smoking that. We try to stop doing that. But how is it that we change? How is it that we experience transformation? That's that's the serious question that we have. But we are going to look at, today we're looking at Romans chapter 6. 
And in Romans chapter 6, we're looking at kind of the genesis or the root uh, that will lead us to transformation or will keep us stuck in the cycle. So if you have your Bibles and you're in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, would you say, I got it? If you're in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, would you say, I got it? The rest of you are saying, I hope you got it on the screen. We do, just for you. But before we start reading, hold on one second. Before we start reading, uh, very quickly, so Paul is kind of answering some questions that were in 520 and 21. He's saying, hey, where there is sin, uh, I just want you to know that there is much more grace, that grace abounds much more than when there is sin. And so in beginning in verse 1, Paul does this, like it's called a diatribe, where he is, he's kind of answering questions uh, that he thinks someone might be asking. So let's pick this up in verse 1, and I'm going to read a lengthy passage of Scripture and then kind of break it down. So follow along. So beginning in verse 1, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. So Paul, as he begins to explain this, he begins to draw on a common metaphor that they would have understood, which is baptism. Verse 5 says, For if, we have un- if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, or another way you can translate that is rendered powerless. It has no more power that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, Paul in verse 8, he says, Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. And then Paul very poetically puts this verse together in verse 10. He says, the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Everybody say once for all. Once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. And then he gives us some kind of commands. He says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death and into life and offer every part of yourself as an instrument of righteousness. And then in verse 14, he says, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but you are under grace. Has anyone here ever had a misunderstanding? Has anyone here ever had a misunderstanding? You guys are already laughing at that question. Have you ever, have you ever sent an email or sent a text message filled with all of the good emojis that you could find? <laughs> and then when the person responds, they respond with no emojis. And you immediately think that they are mad at you. What about this? You ever been watching a game with your friend and it's their favorite team and a play, you know, they just scored and, and, and so you celebrate and you think that it's good, but they're down because that play just beat his fantasy football team? Have you ever been there? What about this one? Have you, ever, have you ever asked your girlfriend or your wife how she's doing and she says fine and so you think that she's fine? Have you ever had a misunderstanding? In the passage that we just read, it becomes abundantly clear that there is a misunderstanding. 
And so Paul begins to clear up this misunderstanding. We've got to understand some context very quickly. In the book, of, the book of Romans is written to a church in Rome, and there's two different believers, two different group of believers, and they're in danger uh, of, of being divided. They're in danger of kind of splitting up. On one side, you have the, the grace, uh, the, the believers that received the message of grace. These were the Gentile believers. So they, they received a message of faith that was all about grace. It's all about that grace on this side. And then on the other side, there was the Jewish believers where they received the faith, but, but it was, they understood it maintained by their works that it, that it had a lot to do with how they lived and what they did. So on this camp, it's like, no, 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 it's not about that. It's about that grace. On this other side, the, Jew, the Jewish believers are like, no, 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 it's not about just about that. It's about how we live our lives. It's about how we conduct ourselves. So they come to Paul and they ask Paul, Paul, which is it? Is it about grace? Is it about that grace? Or is it about that activity? You know what Paul says to him? Yes. Yes. He said, yes, it's about grace. Yes, it's about activity, but you don't get it. So let me take you back. And that's how we begin to unpack Romans chapter 6. Paul begins to talk to both parties here. On the one side, the grace camp he has, to, they, he has to use this rhetorical question because they had swung so far to this other side where he uses a rhetorical question. He says, he says do we go on sinning so that, so that there can be more grace? And Paul says, it's not a trick question. No, no, you don't do that. But on the other side, for, the, for this camp, they want to know, well, isn't it about what we do? How, you know, our works isn't about that. Paul says he has to go back and invoke this, this big guy, this name Abraham. He says, hey, with Abraham, who was your father, who you look to, who you base a lot of how you believe on this guy, what does it say about him? Was he righteous when he, when he did the works or when he believed? He said it was when he was believed. So he said, you don't get it. You don't get it. And then he begins to tell them, listen, something has happened. Something has happened that has changed everything. And then he begins to draw on this metaphor of baptism or the, or the symbol of baptism. To help me kind of illustrate that this morning. So what, what Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, he said, you were over here. You were this. And on this side of things, you were broken. You were lustful. You were dishonest. You were over on this side, bankrupt. He said, but something happened. Jesus entered your life. Something happened and, and expressed through your baptism, and now you are that. Now you are on this side of things. You are whole. You are made right. You are forgiven. You are loved on this side, on this, this, this side of things. He said, you're no longer this. He said, you're that because of what happened here in this point. He says, you are no longer who you used to be. Have you ever experienced something that changed everything. Anybody get a, ever get a new job? Anybody here ever have a baby? I hear babies change some things. Or does anybody remember your, far, your first iPhone? You remember when you got your first iPhone? <laughs> changed everything. For me, as mentioned, uh, a couple, three months ago, because today is our three-month anniversary, because what you do in your first year of marriage is you celebrate every month, right? So today is our three-month three anniversary, and um, before that point, before July 11th, 2015, I was on this side of things. I was single Mike. Single Mike, nice to meet you. Single Mike did whatever single Mike wanted to do. Play video games for countless hours. Why not? Block out an entire day to watch football. Who doesn't do that? 
Leave my clothes wherever I want to leave my clothes? Absolutely. But then on July 11, 2015, something happened. We, I stood in front of a pastor, in front of a cross. We exchanged vows and of our commitment to one another. Something happened. I got married on that day, and now I am on this side, and I am married Mike. And married Mike does whatever his wife wants him to do. <laughs> but hear me this morning. Hear me this morning. On July 11, 2015, I became a husband. I'll never become more of a husband than I was on that day. I received all of the title of husband on that day. At the same time, I'm also still becoming a husband. I'm a husband, but I'm also stepping into who I am as a husband. What Paul begins to tell the believers is he says, listen, when you placed your faith into Jesus... Expressed, expressed in, your, in your baptism, when you did that, you became all of the believer that you will ever be. You'll, never be. you'll never be more righteous or more justified than you were when you placed your faith into Jesus. He says, but at the same time, you're still becoming who Christ has already made you to be in Jesus. Basically what he is saying, he says, be who you already are in Christ Jesus. And from that place, you live out of your identity. The same is true for us. Be who you are in Christ Jesus. You see, it's when we root down into this place that enables us to rise up and to experience the transformation that God has for us and to live out the full life that God promises us. We root down so that we can rise up. Now, that phrase might sound a little familiar to some in the room, root down to rise up. Anybody here practice yoga? Anybody here practice yoga? Few people, really? Three people? A couple more hands. A couple of you guys are like, not really. I saw some wiggling back there. I'm just letting you know. Anybody? So, so in yoga, I just learned this term that you root down so that you can rise up. And I've never practiced yoga, and so I grabbed a slide so that we could adequately understand what it means to root down and rise up because I would have killed it for sure. But this is what it says for this phrase. It says, in yoga, every pose begins with a strong foundation. It does not matter if you are laying down, sitting up, or in an advanced balance pose, which I do not know what that means, Maybe we can get Jairus at some point to show us how to do that. <laughs> or Pastor Caleb. It says, if your listen to this, if your foundation isn't right, you aren't going to get into the pose or receive the full benefits of the pose. In fact, the more complex the pose, the more important it is that you get your foundation right, or you will never reach the full expression of the pose and listen to this, or maybe more importantly, you could seriously hurt yourself. So what this is capturing is as we get this part right, as we root down in who, who we are in Jesus, it enables us to rise up and to experience the transformation that he has for us. But what I get from this thing that we just read about yoga and rooting down to rise up, that if we don't get this right, when we get out here, we could hurt ourselves. Not only hurt ourselves, we could hurt other people. But if I could add one line to that phrase, root down to rise up, it would be this, and repeat. We root down, rise up, 
repeat. Because there's times, there's times in my own life, my guess is there's times in your life where you've gotten out to this place and you started to do some things and you have forgotten who you were. Let me explain something, tell you something about Jesus. Jesus isn't standing back saying, I told you, I told you you were going to mess that up. I told you you were going to break something. I told you you were going to hurt yourself. No, no, no. What Jesus is saying is when he's saying, when you're out here and things, you, you begin to miss it, he said, just step back into who you are. Step back into your identity in me. Root yourself into this place. You get out here, you miss it again, that's okay. Repeat, go back, root down so that you can rise up. You see, one of the, one of the downfalls of us being in, a, in an American kind of education system is that we have an understanding of, of movement, you know, when it comes to education, that I go to kindergarten, and then, and then I go to first and second, third, and so forth, and then you make it to high school, and you're freshman, and then so on and so forth. But when you, so when you get out into this place, if there's something that you miss back here, it's too late because you just keep moving. I think sometimes in our lives of faith, we do that. We, 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 we don't get this part right. We don't root down into who Jesus says that we are. And then we get out into this place and we say, well, it's just too late for me. I just didn't, I missed it. And we work ourselves and work ourselves and work ourselves until we wear ourselves out. But what I would see, think Jesus is saying, what Paul is capturing in this, he's saying, root down into this place, rise up, and if you need to, repeat. Come back to who you are in me. Come back to that place so that you can move forward. You see, rooting down into our identity in Christ is key because everything is built and flows from that place. Look what Romans 6, 5 to 8 has to say. And I just, I grabbed two parts so that we could see two things from this. But it says, for if we have been united with him, and then it jumps into verse 8, we believe that we will also live with, with him. What Paul is saying in the passage and in a lot of his, his writings is that your, your identity your identity is what determines your activity. It's who we are that influences or determines what we do. And this, this, is a re, this is a revolutionary idea. This is a reversal of the way that we understand things. Jesus' message was so countercultural because of what he came and he said. His world then and our world now tells us it's what we do that determines who we are and who we are becoming. But what Jesus says is, no, 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 no. It's who I have made you to be is what determines what you will do. And see, we get this mixed up. We get this backwards constantly. Even I, as a pastor, constantly, I, I want to be a good preacher. I want to I be a good communicator. I want to be a good leader. And so often that will determine my identity, that I'll find my identity in that. But the problem is what happens when I'm no longer a preacher or a leader? And that's why Jesus says you've got to get your foundation. You've got to get who you are in me is going to determine what you do. And now I get it. This idea is, is it's so different than what we get. Our world tells us it's about what we do that determines who we are. And why Paul would say over and over again, listen, it's going to be a retraining of the way that you think. It's going to be a reordering of your lives. That's why in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 2, it says this. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what? By the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, our identity determines our activity. I think one of the reasons that we don't experience 
uh, the transformation that God has for us. It's because we are often working for an identity rather than from an identity. We're constantly trying to work ourselves into something rather than working our way, our way from that place. For an example, just to illustrate this, I uh, need a little bit of participation. When you were growing up, some of you are saying, who said that I'm done growing up? When you were growing up, what did you want to be? What did you want to be? Or what do you want to be when you do grow up? What do you want to be? Nobody wants to be anything? Shout it out. Tell me. Tell me. What did you want to be when you were growing up? A nurse. Teacher. Marine biologist. What else? Astronaut. Growing up. What was that? Actor. In your best actor voice. What else? What did you want to be growing up? I wanted to be, I wanted to play baseball. Anybody else want to play baseball? Anybody else want to play sports? Yeah, no sports fans. Baseball player? What position? Pitcher. Who's your favorite team? Angels. I'm sorry. Just teasing, just teasing. So pitcher, pitcher. What's your name, sir? Steve. Steve, what if I were to tell you that I actually own the Angels, and I've, I've actually seen you throw before in a not creepy way, <laughs> and I've noticed you've got all the mechanics that we're looking for, You've got the velocity, you've got the speed, we, we've seen the way that you've seen game situations, and in fact, like, uh, we're, we've just, we're signing you, you're signed. The ink is dry on the contract, it's a done deal, starting in the spring, you're going to be at spring training, you're going to be our number one pitcher. What does that do for you? Makes you happy. <laughs> is that your wife sitting next to you? Probably makes her happy too. She's like, I've already picked out the new house. Here we go. But Steve, what would change for you from this place? Knowing that you in the spring are going to be the starting pitcher for the Angels. Everything. Everything. Would you probably dust off that old mitt? Start throwing a little bit? Maybe hit the gym? I'm not saying that you need to. <laughs> but everything begins to change. When you begin to move from a place of your identity, everything begins to change. There's, then desire comes. Oh, yeah, I got to dust off that old mitt. Yeah, I got to start running. Yeah, I got, things are changing now because I'm not who I used to be. I'm the, I'm the pitcher, I'm the starting pitcher for the angels. And now, now all of the practices begin to make sense. Now it makes sense why I'm running. Now it makes sense why I'm throwing. Would you guys give Steve a round of applause for participating? Thank you, Steve. What Paul is saying, what Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, listen, I've already made you sons and daughters of God. For those who have placed their faith and their trust in Jesus, God says, you now have my peace. You are now in my kingdom. And then from that place, we live from that place. We move from that place. You see, when you understand yourself as already in the kingdom, then you begin to live out a kingdom life. But so often what we attempt to do is we try to work our way into what God has already made us. We're already here. 
And so what Paul is saying, what Jesus is saying is, is to live from that place. I'm telling you, when you get this part, when you begin to understand who Christ has made you, when you begin to root into your identity as a Jesus follower, you will experience some of the greatest transformation in your life from that place because our identity will determine our activity. It begins when we begin to believe in that identity. But there's still activity. Yes, there's grace. Yes, Jesus has done it by his grace, that we are in this place. But there is still activity. Look what the next passage says in Romans 6, 4. Paul says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might what? Walk in newness of life. This word that Paul is pulling from, it can mean walk, it can mean live in the NIV. It can mean, it's, he's talking about how you conduct yourselves. Basically what Paul is saying is now because of who you are, there's, this, there's something that you do with that, that you begin to walk, you begin to move from this. And you see, as we move from this place, what happens is we create distance between who we used to be and who God is making us to be. We move, we walk, we move. And Paul does something beautifully in this passage he, he uses two things. He uses this, this indicative and imperative uh, language. Indicatives mean that it's done, that it's already done. So in the beginning of the passage, he says, hey, you've been buried with Christ. It is done. This is who you are. The, Christ, the, the death that Christ died, is it's dead. And now the life that you live, you live with him. So he does an indicative thing where it's done. But he also does this imperative thing. And imperatives are intended to be applied and reapplied. You apply them and you reapply them. Look in the last 11 to 13. It says in the same way, he says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. He says, therefore, don't let sin reign. So he says, continue to do these things. Apply these imperatives to your life. This is how you're going to create distance. This is how you're going to walk. This is how you're going to walk in that newness of life and experience all of the transformation that I have for you as you apply these, imp these imperatives. He goes on, he says, don't offer any part of yourself as a, as, to, to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. And you continue to do this over and over and over again. As you apply this, as you reapply this, you experience the transformation that God has for you. You see, sin, sin that Pastor Caleb talked about last week, sin separates. Sin has this way of catfishing and luring us back into people that we don't want to become and back into doing things that we don't want to do. You see, sin, it steals and it confuses our identity. Sin will confuse who Christ has made you to be. My wife and I, uh, we recently started taking uh, a class called Financial Peace University. Because we, as a young married couple, want to make sure that we have a firm financial foundation, which is very difficult, by the way, because three-month-old married couples should just get whatever they want to get, right? <laughs> New couch? Yes, we're married, right? But we've, we've been taking this class, and it often involves, it involves learning and, and creating a budget. That's a bad word, isn't it? Budget. And the budget, we've initially, it feels, it feels so restrictive to us. And it feels like it's about some stuff that we can't do. And, and honestly, like, there's times where we, we get lured. I get lured uh, in, in, into wanting to go to Chili's for dinner. 
into, into wanting to go to, to, go to Nordstrom, Nordstrom Racks. There, there's just sales you can't pass up, right? And we find ourselves lured, lured, lured into this place. And when we give in, we found that we're not any closer to where we want to be. However, when we be, have begun to believe that our financial goals are possible, that we can, we've begun to see the light at the end of the tunnel, and we throw ourselves wholeheartedly and fully into that place, what we have found is that we have found, we've actually found a greater sense of freedom. You see, we tell our money where to go rather than it telling us where to go. And we move more and more into the financial place that we want to be as we apply and reapply some of those principles, as we apply and reapply some of those things that we are learning. I think in the same way, as we take steps you know, in, our, in our, our lives of faith, it kind of feels a little bit restrictive. But if you'll apply and reapply, God will bring you into the freedom that he has for you. You see, in the end of the verse, Paul ends with this by saying it this way. He says, throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. So what do we do with what we've heard this morning? How, how do we apply this? You read the passage, and now how do we, what, what's a step that we can take? How, how can we apply this? Everybody came into this room, and you received a name tag. Can everybody pull those name tags out? This is what I want us to do as a simple step. On your name tag, I want you to write a couple of things. I want you to write forgiven at the top, and then I want you to write growing right below it. Forgiven, growing, and then put your name on there. And then, once you have it ready, Go ahead and put it on. Stick it on. Because this is what I want for you, and this is, this is the reason that I, I want us to do this. I want you to be reminded of who you are. I want you to be reminded of who you are. And because that's who you are, then you know what it is that you are doing. And I want you to, every time that you feel pulled, lured back into this person that you don't want to become, back into, this, into doing things that you don't want to do, I want you to remind yourself, no, 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 no. I don't have to do that anymore. I don't have to be that anymore because, because I'm forgiven. Christ has forgiven. He, he has made me right with God. I'm, I'm forgiven. And then I want you to be reminded, because of that, not only are you don't have to be who you were and don't have to do some of the things that you used to do, but rather you are growing. You are walking. You are moving. And then underneath that, that's who you are. That's your name. That's who God has made you to be. And one of the beautiful things about about churches, is being in community, is being together. And today, let me tell you another reason why I love the Huntington Beach community. You have a pancake breakfast <laughs> right after this. And this is what I want. Would everybody just stand up, stand to your feet? There's no back set this morning. Everybody just stand to your feet as we conclude. 
Again, a couple of the reasons that we're doing, I want you to be reminded of who you are. This week, this week as you move throughout your week, and you feel that, and you all know what I'm saying, you feel that pull, you feel that, I want you to just remind, be, be, begin to renew, renew the way that you think, renew your mind into saying, no, I'm forgiven, and I'm growing. Everybody say, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. And say, I'm growing. I'm growing. Say, I'm forgiven. And I'm growing. Great. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and I'm going to send us out. But I want you to hear one last thing. The work that God is doing in your life isn't just for you. The transformation that God is working into your heart isn't just for you. I want you to know that your kids are watching you. Your friends are watching you. Your coworkers are watching you. And what God does is he transforms a life and then he sends you, he sets you free back into the places that you've come, into your homes, into your places of work, everywhere that you go. You carry with you what it looks like for God to take a life, to transform it into something beautiful so that the world can see that God transforms and changes lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for pancakes. We thank you, God, for being together. God, I pray, Lord, for us as people, God, as we feel uh, the pool back into the people that we don't want to become and pool back into the places, into the things that we don't want to do, God, I pray in that moment you would remind us that we are forgiven. And because we are forgiven, we are growing. Now, God, I pray for your people every place that they go, every place that they occupy, God. I pray that they would be little uh, beams of transformation. They would be little pictures of what it looks like for God to take a life and to change it into something beautiful that experiences your freedom and your fullness of life. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you on that patio.